asked to use the bathroom, I'd go now. So yeah, Mark 13, the entire chapter, all 37 verses. The reason why I, you know, I went through this back and forth. How do I want to split this up? And, and as I kept reading the chapter over and over, you know, of course, there's a lot in this chapter, and there's a lot certainly that could bog us down, and it's all very important stuff. But I figured a lot of that stuff we're actually discussing in depth on Wednesday nights. Um, so if you're interested, if this interests you and you want to go deeper, come on Wednesday nights at six. We spend um, usually it takes us an hour to get through a few verses. I mean, we really dive in as deep as we can. And so um, so we're handling it there. And also, if you had any questions about any of this, certainly I'm only an email or a phone call, or you can even grab me afterwards, and we can have that sort of discussion. But there's a big idea here that's in this entire chapter that I think that we would miss if we, if we um, broke it up. Uh, there's, a, there's a big idea. There's something that Jesus wants us to know. Uh, and it's this, is that it's everything we sang, right? The end is coming, and there will be trials and tribulations and difficulties, and they're going to grow in intensity and in frequency. And there's this tendency when we hear that to, to become afraid. And really the question then becomes, though, uh, how are we to respond to all of this, everything that's going on in the present world today, and also what is coming, and as it, and it, and as it comes forward? How is our response? Jesus does not give us Mark chapter 13 so that we can figure out the day and time of his return. He gives us Mark chapter 13 so that his followers would learn how to live today. See, his, his coming, his promise to come, his promise to return, this idea of the destruction and the, the trials and the tribulation, all of that should form how we live Today, knowledge about the future should lead to obedience in the presence. And so he gives some signs and some warnings, and then he tells us how we should respond with four do-nots and seven do's. And so we're going to uh, do our best to do a, a overview of chapter 13, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it through right now. And listen carefully. See if you can't pick out some of what we're talking about. See if you can't hear the big idea of what Jesus is saying. Uh, he first tells the uh, destruction of the temple, and it, it concerns his disciples. They ask him about when's this going to happen, and what are the signs before it happens. And then Jesus actually prophesizes two things. He prophesizes the actual destruction of the temple, which we know came true in 70 AD. And then he also prophesizes the end of time. So that's kind of the, the big idea, the overview. So let's see if, if you can kind of listen for that as I read through chapter 13 of the book of Mark. And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what, a wonderful, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to be accomplished? 
And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and he will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These things are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to the councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will, be, you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the, fa- and the father, his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter the house, or to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for a woman, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being could be saved. For for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then in And then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And when they then and then when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will see he will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the end of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches, its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also you see the things taking place. You know that it, he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Heaven and earth 
will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at, the, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Lest he suddenly, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. May God add a blessing to his word this morning. So we've got a scene here where they're, they're in the temple. We know they're dealing, all these dealings have been in the temple. Now they're coming out of the temple. And one of his disciples, we don't know which one, but one of them is overtaken by the beauty of the temple. And we kind of talked a few weeks ago about the temple. The temple is, just, is breathtaking. It's absolutely breathtaking. If the temple were to be built today, it would be something, a building that would have cost trillions of dollars. It was, it was just plated everywhere in gold, thick gold, and where it wasn't gold, it was bronze. And if it wasn't bronze, it was marble. I mean, they spared no expense. This is a 46 years in the making uh, building this temple. And so you, you just, some, one of them, they're walking out, just becomes overtaken by the beauty and says, Teacher, look. Look at how beautiful this temple is. I mean, look where we're standing. We're in all these debates and we're going back and we're doing all this teaching. Take a minute here to take in how gorgeous this place is. And his response is not something that they expected whatsoever. He talks about how there's coming a time and a place where this whole structure, all of this, everything that you see, will be taken down to the ground. And of course, he's talking about the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 AD. The official of military report was to actually save the temple. To, to destroy the people but save the temple. But the Romans had already started the building on fire. And so everything collapsed. The only thing they could do was salvage all the gold. So he, they don't know any of this. So, so he tells them about this. And then, and, then, and then they get together. They hear this and it's shocking. It's shocking when we read the book of Revelation, when we hear about the end of times, I mean, we can identify, we can relate to their feeling. They got that thing in their gut, like, what are you talking about? You also have to understand that they're, they, don't, they don't understand prayer like we understand prayer. They don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. The temple is where you went to have connection with God. There was this, the secondary uh, synagogues that were around the temple is where you went to have actual presence with God. Today we enjoy, because of Christ, that anywhere we travel, because of the Holy Spirit. So we praise God for that. So they're, they're thrown off. This is terrible news to them. And so they want to know, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the signs when they are about to be accomplished? This is not unlike us. In fact, this has been every single generation from that generation forward. There's no doubt that the people who lived through World War II must have thought, this is it. 
when we learned of the crazy things Hitler was doing and all that was going on there? No doubt you think this has got to be the end. Every generation has had. We certainly have ours. You know the number one question I was asked when the whole thing started with COVID and the divisiveness? The number one question I was asked, is this the end times? I got that said over and over and over by almost everybody I know. Is this the end times? Is this the end times? It must be it. Everybody thinks that this, they will be the, theirs will be the last generation. And if not theirs, their children's will be the last generation. Or maybe their grandchildren's. But it is always this predominant. And we want to know. We want to know this, this whole pandemic and everything that has gone on the last couple of years has done a couple of things. If you're paying attention, one, it has weeded out false Christians everywhere. Churches with a thousand shut down to return to 300. Where do they all go? They fell away at the first sign of trouble, the first sign of difficulty. They found an easier and softer path, and Jesus was no longer worth it. You're not a true Christian. You were never truly saved. The other thing it's done is it has risen out and brought forward false prophets. I mean, abounds. Just tremendous false prophecies, especially leading up to the election. Prophesizing things that never came true. And Christ says these are all warning signs. We have all of these signs. But again, he doesn't tell us this so that we can figure out the end. In fact, he tells us in verse 32, but concerning that day and that hour, nobody knows. Will it happen in this generation? Will it happen in the next generation? Will it happen in five? Nobody knows. And he doesn't seem to care to tell us. He's not giving us any more than that. He's saying, I don't even know. In his, in his earthly state, in his human state, he himself had put down that knowledge. Only the Father knows. And so much of walking with God is, is, is like that, is it not? I mean, we, we often think about future events and we are met with anxiety because we feel like we don't know what to say in that future appointment that we have or we don't have what we need to handle or meet that future thing. Sometimes we look at somebody else go through a difficulty or tragedy and we look into ourselves now and go, I could never walk through that. How are they walking through that? God really never gives us anything that we need until we need it. This is why we walk by faith and not by sight. That we walk knowing that our Father is good and will provide for us what we need, but often not until the very moment we need it. I heard a story years ago, and it stuck with me. It was a story of a, a father who brought his little girls to Disney World. They didn't live in Florida, so they had to take an airplane to Disney World. And it was the first time his little girls had ever been in an airport. And so he brings them to the airport, and they get out, and they, they go to experience the airport. Now, as adults, airports are a pain in the butt. <laughs> but as a kid, that's oh, like a precursor to Disney World. It's like a small Disney World. It's, it's amazing. I mean, you got stuff that you stand on, and it just kind of goes forward. That is, I mean, a kid would run around and just take turns. There's no line. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to see and do and wonderment. It's this exciting thing. And so he watched his kids just frolic around enjoying the airport. And he said it was interesting because, you know, they really wanted to get to Disney World. That was the ultimate destination. That's why they were at the airport, 
It was so that they could get to Disney World. And the entire time those kids were running around that airport having fun, they didn't have on their person the thing that they absolutely needed to get to Disney World. They didn't have the airplane tickets. There was no way for them to go on that airplane. They don't go on the airplane, they don't go to Disney World. The dad had the ticket. And what the dad did was, right at the last minute when they were called the board, he stood in between the ticket taker and the child and he pulled out the ticket, handed it to the, to the child, the child took it and gave it right to the ticket taker and got on the plane. And you think, well, why did he do that? It's not because he's cruel. It's not because he was testing them or wanted to see, you know, uh, uh, how much he could torture his, his children. No, it was out of love and mercy. He knew that those children couldn't possibly understand the worth of that ticket. He knew that they would have been irresponsible with that ticket because they didn't have the type of maturity necessary to make sure to protect that ticket and keep it in, safe, in safety. He knew that there was a good chance they'd never be able to make it on that plane because that ticket would be lost if he gave it to them any sooner. So the question then is, how do we behave in the airport? Do we behave in the airport like we're people of faith who trust that our Father is good even when we don't see all of his ways? We don't understand all of his ways? Can we just enjoy what it, where it is that we're at? To enjoy the things of this world, the things that we can enjoy, to just know and sing, enjoy no matter what's coming down the pipe, whatever we think we have or don't have, because we have faith and trust that our Father is good and He will provide for us what we need when we need it. Or do we sit in the airport full of fear and anxiety and worry and doubt, fixated on the fact that we don't have a ticket. Those are really the two options. Well, even as Christians, we can, we can just have these forgetters, right? We have these, this amnesia that we've always been given the ticket on time, but this time in the airport, it might be different. And so we fixate on not having the ticket. Either way, we're getting the ticket. Either way, God is good. He doesn't change. Who changes is me, and it depends on whether or not I'm going to put my faith and trust in him. And so this is what we have. This is how should we behave in the airport. So he gives us signs. And as we go through the chapter, these are the signs that he gives. He gives the, abom- the abomination of desolation, which real quick is a prophecy from Daniel. So he's just bolstering this prophecy that was made by Daniel, and it says that he's standing where he ought not be. That's the temple. And so what he's saying is that there's going to be this abomination in the temple so great that it's going to lead for the temple to be desolate. Completely desolate. That's what he's saying. An indicator there for us now should be probably some peace over in that part of the country so that they can resurrect the temple again. Which isn't yet. Many will come in my name and claim that they are him. That there will be wars and rumors of wars. That nation will be against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That there will be earthquakes and famines. That brother against brother and father against child and children against parents putting each other to death. That the sun and the moon will be darkened. And the stars will fall from the sky. And powers in heaven will be shaken. 
Now, as we run through this list, we can check off a lot of these things. We experience a lot of these things. And this is what causes us to think, this must be it. A national pandemic. This has got to be it, man. The whole world shut down. It's eerie. But Christ very clearly in this chapter tells us it's not. That those things are not the signs to the end. That these things must take place. But they're going to take place in the way of birth pains. So if there's any women in here who have had children, or any husbands, watch their wives have children. I know with Kim, it was, you know, oh, birth pain, it was bad. And then after a while, there was another one. And then after a shorter amount of time, there was another one, it was worse, a shorter amount of time. And the closer they got, and the larger those pains were, the more unmanageable those pains were, right, it, it was an indicator that we should probably get off the couch and grab the emergency bag and head to the doctor because it was time to have Ellie. And then, for whatever reason, 40 hours later, <laughs> but, but this is what he's saying, that, that, that yes, there will be wars and earthquakes, we experience all of these things, but, but they're going to become greater in nature and become closer and closer together. Grow in frequency and intensity. So, whatever the next thing, there's going to be a next thing. Do you remember everybody like, oh, it's 2021, we can't wait for 2021. 2020 was so bad. As though 2021 had some magic to it. Was this going to naturally be better than 2020? Like, as Christians, we know this is a fallacy. Right? That, that a new year does not bring repentance brings new life, right? Hope in Christ brings it, but a new year doesn't bring new life. There will be more COVID-19s. There will be more strands coming. There will be something awful coming. We have to understand that. I think if we understand, if we don't expect lives that are not shaken, it's a lot easier to deal with lives when they're shaken. If our hope and faith is not in our security and our comfort, but in Jesus Christ, it's a lot easier to handle those things when they come down the pike. Nobody has promised us easy living. In fact, we're promised the opposite. Even more so if you're a Christian. Because then he goes on to say that persecution will rise. That, That Christians will be delivered over. They will be beaten and tried, and you will be hated by all. Hated by all. It's the fate of these disciples as they're listening to Jesus' word. We know that historically all of them went through that. It's the fate of Christians throughout the ages. And it's the fate of Christians today. There is no Christianity without persecution. And it's easy to look over in third world countries and hear missionary reports and see real live persecution where things are ripped from them, taken away from them, they're thrown in prison. And we think here in America, well, we don't experience that type of persecution. But, but I think there's two things there. One, if we haven't experienced that type of persecution, it's not the rule. It's the exception. America has been the exception to the rule. 
as far as persecuted Christianity go. Everybody else experienced persecution. Everybody else. But for whatever reason, God's hands have seemed to have been on America. And so we should be grateful, we should be very grateful that we're able to gather in the open like this this morning and open up our Bibles. This is all a blessing. It's not owed to us. We're not entitled to it. And most of our brothers and sisters don't relate to it. They don't understand it. The other thing is, is that we can't overlook the persecution that is upon America. And it's the persecution of wealth and prosperity. We just read several weeks ago how hard, Jesus' own words, how difficult it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. It's almost a worse persecution because we can trick ourselves, like we were talking about last week, that we have an abundance. That Jesus Christ is our helper, not our Savior. That we have enough money that we don't really need true repentance. It's a dangerous, dangerous persecution. One that persecuted countries don't suffer from. And so we need to walk an understanding of this. And certainly as we move forward, we've already seen a rise in this country of persecution. I saw an article two weeks ago, and the, the um, picture on the article was a church, just a, you know, just a church building, but it had a target on it. It had a target on it. And the, the, the article is basically saying they're targeting it. <laughs> It's going to get, like, 2022 isn't going to be better. <laughs> let's not say, oh, I can't wait for 2022. Let, let's just realize that as Christians, we're called to persecution. And, and so how do we respond? That should be our question. It's not how to avoid the difficulty and the persecution. How do we respond? This is what Jesus is saying. He's, <laughs> so he gives us four do-nots and seven do's. If we examine again the, the chapter of 13, we get do not, four do nots, do not be led astray, do not be alarmed, do not be anxious, and do not believe false teaching. There's plenty of opportunity to do all of these things, and Christ is commanding us to do the opposite, to do not do these things. And then he gives us seven do's. He repeats a lot of them, so it's not actually seven, but we see these phrases come up seven times in chapter 13. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. You think he wants us to be on our guard? Keep awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. In fact, he ends it with, and what I say to you, I say to all. That includes this morning, the King's Alliance Church. He is thinking about us right now, reading his words. He says, to all I say, stay awake. And the seventh would be, endure, endure to the end. So let's briefly go over these do nots and do's. Do not, do not be alarmed 
or anxious. These things must take place. If they must take place, that means they are in the sovereignty of God. They are under His command. They are not happening outside of His... We, we see, we look at the world's reaction. This is what happened with COVID, right? It hit us by surprise. We didn't see it coming. And then when it came, we didn't know what to do. So we saw everybody panicking. We saw all the leadership panicking. We saw everybody wringing their, their hands. There was this real fear across all nations in the whole globe. You know where there was no fear? Heaven. You know who it didn't catch by surprise? God. Before the foundations of the world, he knew that that would come. He wasn't wondering what to do. It, he knew that it was so all of this stuff these things must take place are under the sovereignty and the control of God and we know that God is good and so while we might not understand it we don't know or see everything that he sees we don't have that sort of maturity we are called then to be the child in the airport without the airline ticket to not understand not have what we need not see clearly but just simply know that God is good and he is in control. <clears throat> Do not be led astray. <clears throat> we're, we're failing at this one. I don't necessarily mean this, this church here, but the capital C church some of the ways that we can be led astray certainly is through false teaching and false teachers. Um, and the other way that we can be led astray is through seduction. And the book of Revelation talks about Jezebel who goes in through churches and he, she convinces them of the society norms that are actually sins and just kind of just kind of uh, um, makes sins benign. Sin is not a big deal. We certainly see that in America. There are things that wouldn't be on television in 1950 that are all over television today. We become desensitized towards sin. There's Jezebels everywhere. Everywhere. There's actually whole political uh, campaigns and agendas that aren't just even trying to not neutralize sin, but push them forward, bolster them as norm. And if you don't see it as a norm, then you're not loving so there's Jezebels everywhere that we must make sure that we hold firm to. But I think one of the ways that we can be led astray is to be distracted. And we see this happening all around us as the, uh, not only America becomes more and more divisive, but the, the stories that I'm hearing of churches splitting and becoming divisive over political issues and politics. I mean, churches that can't keep it together keep their eyes fixated on the big picture, Jesus Christ, over things like masks. If we can't handle masks, ladies and gentlemen, how are we going to handle tribulation? Wearing a mask is not a tribulation. Now there might be certain things embedded into the whole mask thing, but but it's not big picture stuff. It's not worth breaking fellowship over. Who the president is or isn't is not worth breaking fellowship 
over. We must keep unity first. The only way to do that is not by not being led astray, by sticking to Christ. Uh, do not be discouraged. There's a lot of things that can discourage us in this day and age. All you have to do is watch the news. You watch the news for 10 minutes, you feel discouraged. Some of the laws that are being passed certainly can bring about discouragement. But we are called to not be discouraged, to stand firm. Keep our eyes on Christ. So what about the do's? Do stay awake. Do stay awake. There is not time for laziness or complacency. We need to stay awake to our need for Christ. And we need to stay awake for the truth. We need to battle for truth. We can't take it for granted the truth is going to be there anymore. There has been an attack on truth that's unbelievable. If the church, if the public school systems and the universities in this country could not care less about truth, they couldn't care less about it. If the church does not uphold and withstand and, and hold up and bolster and care and love and cherish and protect truth, It'll be gone. There is no other institution in the United States of America that even cares about truth. It is up to the church to continue to hold on to truth. And in that way, we must be on guard. Be on guard, he tells us. To be on guard, to always be on guard, right? Put on the armor of God. Ephesians 6 is what immediately comes to mind. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Don't be strong in ourselves and our abilities. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor, not my armor, but the armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have, having done all, stand Firm. So be on guard. We must be on guard. We must be people who read our Bibles. We must be people who pray. We must be people who love the word, love truth, and, and resonate in that truth. And do good works. We're called to good works. People are going to hate. But we must endure. This is the third thing he says. Do endure. Endure to the end that you might be saved. What is he saying there? He's saying that some of this trial, some of this persecution, some of this difficulty is a sifting process. Again, we saw that with COVID. When they came back from 1,000, they came back, there was 300. They were shocked. Many churches are dealing with that today, shocked at how many false converts were attending their church every week. Christ is very clear about this. Many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart. I never knew you. So there's this sifting process. 
that we might, so this is why we must endure it, so that we might be sifted out, that we might also, there's this proving process, that if we maintain, if we stay, if we're held in, it's because we are sealed by God, and so it gives us proof of our salvation and our faith. And certainly it also strengthens us. But there's this other thing that he talks about, and it's this enduring, uh, and he says to us in verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And we just got done reading the great commandment to love God with everything and to love others in the sacrificial way like we love ourselves. And even in our own individual lives, as we get quiet and spend time with God, we know the work God has given us. Each one of you has a ministry. Every single one of you. Every single one of you have people on your heart that burden you, that pull you. Each one of you are called to act and behave and have a relationship in a certain way. We all have been given work to do. Amen? All of us have work to do. And he's saying to endure that work. It is difficult when the whole world is not loving to be loving. But we must endure. It is difficult when nobody's grateful for anything to continue to do good works, but we must endure and we must hold on to what it is that God has given us to do. Did you know that you're not going to stand before God on Judgment Day? and make an account of what the President of the United States did? He's not going to ask you about that. He's going to ask you about what you did. And if you fulfilled the work that you were given to do. So it is a foolish thing to put down our work, to become distracted by all of these other things, and make these things the major in our lives. The Christian life is called to a life of humility and servitude. Often it is just those small, little, repeated acts of obedience that seem insignificant to the grand scheme of things. That God takes and uses mightily because it shows our obedience to him in the small. And if we can be obedient in the small, he allows us to have more and become obedient to more. He talks about the, the, the owner leaving, giving people works, and not telling them when he's going to return. So we've got to think through this. If, if we have a boss who says, I'm going to be back, but doesn't tell us when, but gives us this list of things to do, and we've got this company, and some of the people in the company decide to just kick back and relax because the boss is gone. Who cares? And some of the people in the company become really anxious about it. Oh, no, the boss is gone. Will he ever return? Oh, no. And some of the people in the company become, they just start debating on when it is he's coming back. He's coming back Tuesday. No, it's Wednesday. No, I'm telling you, it's Tuesday. And they're just sitting there arguing back and forth. And then some of the people in the company just get to work doing what's on the list. What group of people do you want to be in when he pops through that front door? I want to be working, sweeping, and cutting wood and chopping wood and carrying water and doing whatever it is he told me to do. So as I sit over this 
or sit under this chapter, I realize I have fall short. And I'm assuming that you do too. That we all fall short. We fall short of these things. We do become anxious. And we do become distracted. And we do we are seduced and we fall asleep. But here's what we have to remember. He doesn't. Jesus Christ doesn't. Jesus Christ isn't anxious. He doesn't become anxious. He never will be. He's not distracted. We can see that as a witness in the Gospels. Three and a half years, he accomplished more ministry than anybody could have done in a lifetime. He doesn't become seduced. Not in the wilderness by himself, him and the devil, or any other time. And he certainly doesn't fall asleep. In fact, while everybody's sleeping, he's usually off praying. So I'm going to add, if I may, a do to this list. And that is do trust God. Do trust God. He tells us that we can do this. He shows us and exemplifies this in verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over... By the way, the trial is for your life. It's not like, you know, three to ten in jail. It's for your life. You don't make this trial, you die. We can kind of think through Martin Luther as we just passed uh, um, the Reformation. Uh, but as he says, in that situation, don't be anxious beforehand of what you're going to say. Well, why wouldn't you be anxious? Because you have the Holy Spirit. There's just no need for anxiety when you have the Holy Spirit, even when you're facing down your own death. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak. The Holy Spirit takes over and does for you what you cannot do for yourself. So do trust. Trust that you have the Holy Spirit. The other thing is that he's not, this is on purpose. He gives a a prophecy of the temple which was going to happen in 78 really shortly after all of this takes place, so that you and I can see, well, if he, what he prophesied about the temple happened to the T, right? Then we can trust what he's saying about the end of times. His word is trustworthy. That what God says happens. What God says happens. And he bolsters that with this incredible statement. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth and all that we know and all that we see is on a shakier foundation than his words. The words of Christ will never be corrupted, will never go unfulfilled, and will never pass away. Should that bring, can I get an amen if that brings you any kind of comfort this morning? We live in a world where you can't find the truth for a million bucks. What station are you going to listen to? What radio program are you going to turn into? Where do you find it? There's just lies everywhere. Everybody's pointing over there while we're doing something over here. It's a slippery, darkening world. You, it just, you can't, I don't know about you, but I feel sometimes overwhelmed with all of it. It's just nuts. Who do you trust? 
the thing that will never pass away. Amen? There's one more sign that's given. One more. And that sign is this. Every single human being on the planet will look out one day. And in the clouds, he will be there. Coming down. Then you can make your prophecies. Then you can make your predictions, because the day will have been here. And that will be a glorious day for you and I. Because he is not coming down as he came before in humility. But he is coming down this time in power and in glory. And he is coming, amongst other things, to do one thing, to gather his elect. He promised that he would not leave us behind. He will fulfill that promise. So as we face the trials and the difficulties and the situations of today, as they grow even more intense intense and frequent, we need to remember that one day that time will come, that he is coming back for us. Amen? And that will be glory, because you and I are built for glory. We're built for eternity. We're built to be with our Father. Oh, Father, bring us home. Amen? Heavenly Father, God, we we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are not going to abandon us. God, that you're coming for us, God. We thank you that you're not us. God, we thank you that, that we're not you. God, help us to get our trust off of finite things, or finite things about God, and put our trust in infinite things. To put our trust in infinite things that are forever, have always been. Things such as your word, and your son, and the Holy Spirit, which, which dwells in each one of us. Help us to remember in those times when we feel overwhelmed that we have the living presence of you. Not around us, not near us, in in us. And in times that we're overwhelmed with calamity and difficulty, the Holy Spirit takes over and does for us what we can't. There's so much in here, Father, to praise your name. When we think and speak of the end of times and the trials and tribulations, sometimes the trials and the tribulations are what get noted. That's what gets kind of front. That everybody concentrates on those things. Forgive us for that. I think you show us those things that we can contrast those things to your glory. That we can see that there isn't anything that isn't worth going through if it means that at the other end we get to see your face and that you've promised that we will. Praise your name. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we love you and we praise your name. Amen.